Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. We're kicking off the month of February with a series on relationships. For the next three weeks, we've asked three couples that have navigated various challenges to stay married to share their stories. We often see the Instagram version of someone's marriage and think they sure look like they have it all together. But these couples are going to share the reality of marriage, what it looks like for them practically to do life together, how they engage in conflict, and some of the hardships they faced that they didn't expect. So let's jump right in on these conversations and hear how they've made it. everybody welcome to grace life so glad to have you here especially if you're a guest we're in a marriage series uh three weeks and this is the final part where we've had three different couples share their experience and the theme is how we've made it and the truth is there's a lot of different stories for each couple so we've had three different couples with three different uh perspectives on life that have had uh, three different challenges so to speak and uh, they've each shared so banking in a day did part one and uh, kent and lane last week with part two uh, today I have my lovely wife Ramona with me. Everybody help greet her to the stage. Because being on stage is her favorite place to be. That's right. All right. So as I said, this is my wife Ramona. I think we've got a family picture we're going to share with you here on one of these screens. Um, both of them, I hope. That's kind of how they work. If you get one, you get them both. There you go. Woo, look at that. Uh, that picture is about two years old because the kid right behind me is now three inches taller than me. Um, and uh, the reason for that is because we are the normal American family, and we went back through the last two years of our pictures trying to find one where all six people were looking the same direction with a smile, and we don't have that, so you get the two-year-old version of us, so just a little bit about us. We are just a few months shy of married for 24, 24 years, come on somebody, 24 years celebrating with a week in the Caribbean. Can't wait. It's going to be fun. We got married uh, when I was a missionary and she was a translator on a church planning team in Romania. This is how you can remember her, Ramona from Romania. And uh, when we got married, we thought it was going to be easy. Any married people thought it was going to just be easy, right? Come on. The rest of you are liars. Um, And uh, turns out we brought a couple of misconceptions into our marriage we're going to share with why don't you tell them the first crazy thought we had oh well we thought that we had this thought that if we both love jesus what can go wrong i mean like as he was preaching and i was translating for him i was leading worship so what can we possibly fight about if we are so in love with jesus so um i was i guess i was i just found out when i, I married him that i was made a sinner <laughs> And so did I. Right, right. Just for the record. Uh, the, the thing that I brought into the marriage misconception came out of a Bible verse that as single college guys, we'd all run around praying. This was like our favorite prayer verse over our lives. It comes out of Proverbs 18 that says, the man who finds a wife finds a treasure. Come on, guys. Anybody? Single men. We need an a- amen over there from Corey. He finds a treasure and he receives favor from the Lord. Now, look, if you're reading this verse the, the words treasure and favor bring pictures to your mind. It's like winning the lottery. It, it's like bliss. It's like easy. It's like everything's going to go great, right? I mean, you find a treasure, it's, it's a wonderful life, right? And if you find a treasure, it's to make your life better, right? Because that's my treasure. I feel, you know, that kind of thing. Nobody told you it's going to be hard. 
Nobody said you were going to have to actually like work really hard to get that treasure chest open. You know, that th this person might be difficult to love or respect at times, and things might not go the way you think. Matter of fact, it could actually be painful. Right. Yes. <laughs> we went through a lot. Anyway, so right about when we got married, um, this uh, movie came out, and it's um, Jerry Maguire. They wouldn't know about it because they're Christians. They oh, don't, you guys they don't, don't watch, watch those kinds of things. all watch that movie. So um, they, they said this amazing phrase, like, you complete me, you know. So I was, like, super mad after watching that movie because I didn't feel completed at all. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so you sit with the Lord and you just kind of ponder on that and just get madder and madder. So then the Lord speaks into your mess. And you know how you hear the Lord is that that thought does not belong to you because you're not that good. So he, was, he said, you're looking for a soulmate, but soulmates are made. I mean, you're believing a lie. Soulmates are made through life challenges, through knowing that person really well. And he just kind of spoke into my mm -hmm. um, a lie, I believe. Yeah, let me uh, share just a little theology. You know, the Bible tells us that God takes the two and the two become one. And so uh, this cute, romantic Hollywood notion of you complete me sounds great in a movie, but it is completely unbiblical. Uh, no one else completes you. God completes you. Right. One is a whole number. If you are single in the room today, I need you to hear that. Matter of fact, I do just want to go ahead and say that as we're sharing, I believe what we've got to share today, I, I hope will help married people, but I hope it will really help single people that plan to get married. So if you're single, pay attention because th this can really help you as well. But here, here's the thing. Uh, God completes you. God alone completes you. And then if you become whole in who God has made you to be and who you are in him, then he can take those two whole individuals and create something new, a new unified thing together uh, that's a couple, the two become one. It is amazing. Um, but if, if you come broken into marriage, uh, expecting the other person to, to fit in all of the brokenness and to make you whole where you're not, well, that's going to be the trouble. And that is exactly the trouble we ran into. So right. uh, we want to share with you kind of the theme of our marriage of what God did. And uh, we're, we're going to share with you our, our theme verse. Now, uh, you know, usually you like to pick these things for yourself, right? You know, how many of you have, have picked like a life verse um, that you love? You love to quote and you go, I'm so glad this is my life verse. Or how many of you as couples, you have your song from like the first time you danced together. You got, you got your song and you love that song, right? You know, well, our life marriage verse is not one we would have ever chosen for ourselves. Matter of fact, nobody would choose this as a verse for themselves. Only God would put this on you. And it's out of Proverbs 27. And it says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. There you go. That's it. That is the story of our marriage. That is the verse. That is what God is doing. Uh, and I want you to think about this. If this is God's method for humanity, if this is God's method for helping any person see their flaws and their their weaknesses and their character issues by rubbing one person, iron sharpening iron, and, it, and it's through sharing life together that we discover how we need to grow. If that's God's method for all of humanity, how much more is that going to be amplified in marriage, right? right. I mean, marriages are closest 
relationship. You, you can't hide in marriage. Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about. I mean, marriage, you're like together more than any other relationship. Uh, privacy is gone, right? Come on, married people. You don't have that anymore. And, you know, like, you, you know this person behind the scenes in a way nobody else does. Like, you, you've seen them have the flu bent over a trash can. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? The kind of stuff you don't see on Instagram, right? You, you've seen childbirth. <clears throat> you've seen morning hair. You've seen no makeup. And, and, and I'm just going to stop right there because y'all know this list could get really bad really fast, right? There, there's no privacy. And, and God puts you in such close quarters 24-7, so there is a whole lot of iron sharpening iron. There's a whole lot of working on what needs to grow in us. And, and what ends up... You're messing up my iPad, girl. What, <laughs> what, what ends up happening is is we sometimes, some marriages today, try to avoid the sparks line. And and so there are some trends happening in our world today to to keep iron from sharpening iron like two master suites. Some people are getting married and saying, you know what, this is just too hard to deal with you. So you're at that end of the hall, I'm at this end of the hall, and and we're going to get along just fine. Or, Or how about man caves? And uh, craft rooms and whatever. I know I'm stepping on toes right now, but I tell you what, is it, I, I drive around my neighborhood, and the funniest thing I just do not understand is I'll see a dude in a lawn chair with an 80 inch TV in his garage. I mean, come on, y'all, this is Columbia. There's like three weeks a year that you can actually watch TV in your garage. You know, the rest of the time, it's 92% humidity at 98 degrees. You must have a miserable marriage that you're willing to watch the game like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, come on, y'all wouldn't be so upset if I wasn't talking about some of you. I don't know which ones, but look, here's the truth. It is through conflict and friendship that God shapes us into the people he is calling us to be. Iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. It is through conflict as well as that friendship. And um, we weren't good at either of those. Right, so I was uh, a conflict avoider. I just did not, I avoided at all costs. So peace of all costs. So that kind of led, <coughs> I was just very unfulfilled and very lonely and a lot of unrest because I just try to make everybody happy and push pieces around to achieve that. And I was stuffing a lot. So what would happen, I would explode from time to time. So, <laughs> so I was uh, switching from like a, a whim to like a complete crazy person. And he, he'd be like, well, I didn't even know you were mad. I don't know what, where this is coming from. Because it was something that happened three months ago. Come on, anybody ever, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So I I just had a hard time with that. So I talked to one of my pastors at the church we were currently going. And he said, um, peace, because I was telling him, I want peace at all costs. He's like, peace does not bring change. Conflict brings change. And plus, you're not growing. You're, you're not growing yourself because you can't find your voice to confront. And he's not growing because if you're not confronting him, how he's going to know he's got issues. So he said, you let this man get away with murder all these years. I clearly did not get away with murder because she is still here. The and she feeling, was at the top the of the list. <laughs> So we weren't good at conflict, although we had a lot of it, um, and we also didn't have friendship. 
And, and it's through that conflict and that friendship God is working. Well, because we didn't have friendship, we didn't have a safe place to even share with one another, to even try to help one another uh, grow in any way whatsoever. I mean, you know, guys, like if you're hanging out with your buddies and one of your friends walks out of the bathroom and his zipper's still down, you're a good friend. You go, hey, dude, man, your zipper's still down. And, and that's like that much embarrassment, but it's okay because you saved him that much embarrassment of figuring it out four hours later after he's been walking around, right? I mean, it's what you do as friends. Like, hey, man, let me help you out here. And the ladies, I don't know what y'all do, but anyway, you get the point. And so just those little, oh, hey, you know, the way you said that hurt so-and-so's feelings, uh, where you would try in a marriage, in a friendship, to help each other grow and see your blind spots and to see how you're coming across to other people. For us, it would always create massive explosions and just really ugly conflict, and um, it was a mess. And so we, we didn't have anything, uh, either friendship or healthy conflict. As a result, we really just tried to avoid each other. We, we tried not to talk. We, we tried not to spend time together. Um, yeah, so look, here's our story. Our story is one of God putting two very wounded people together so that through that iron sharpening iron, we could become the people he was creating to do something through. And uh, that process was, was very difficult. So we're going to share a little bit of each of our backstories of what we brought into the marriage. All right, so my upbringing was um, everybody in my family were alcoholics. So like uh, my mom and my dad were alcoholics, uncles alcoholics, my dog was an alcoholic. Everybody was alcoholic. So I was an unwanted pregnancy. My dad convinced my mom not to abort me, pretty much. So they decided to stay together, but that kind of um, produced just a, this toxic environment that we were all in um, this marriage. Well, I'm here, but just going through all that. Um, it just kind of created a lot of codependency in me, like where I would just be really obsessed about people's behavior and trying to control them and moving pieces around, just tremendous codependency there. Uh, and, and of course, lack of self-confidence, um, definitely. <clears throat> um, another thing that my parents did, they were, like as they were drinking, they were coming to my room and um, they were confiding in me. Like I was like eight, nine, 10, like all through my teen years, I was their counselor. So when you put that much pressure on a little kid, I just immediately saw myself as my authority that got put over me is just, they're stupid. They're just, I, I was counseling my own parents and telling them, hey, don't drink that much. You know, that's not okay. And um, so as I was growing up, I just felt like I know everything. I don't need anybody to tell me anything because I just know everything. But there was just self-conscious. So you take that in marriage and he's like, hey girl, you know, and I'm like, Tch. Who are you talking to? So anyway, because <laughs> I know everything. I'm just very unteachable. So that's my upbringing. Uh, I grew up in a, a different home. My parents uh, wouldn't touch alcohol if uh, their life depended on it. Um, 
was a very fundamental home, very religious appearing sort of home. We were in church uh, at least two or three different times a week. Uh, we were the typical Southern Christian home where everything looks really good on the outside, but is actually quite broken on the inside. Um, uh, one time I remember we had uh, pastoral visitation. If you guys wonder why we don't do pastoral visitation here at Grace Life, it's because I'm still wounded from this experience. But um, it was one of those times where like, you know, a month in advance, it's your turn for the pastor to come to your house to see how you're doing. And uh, so it was like a Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. I don't really know for sure, but, you know, just, just go with it. So, so we all know at Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, the pastor is going to ring the doorbell. And at this point, we have to be the same people he sees on Sunday mornings. So that means the TV is off, uh, maybe even removed from the living room to look like we're not even TV watcher people at all, right? Because we just sit around and read the family Bible. We got the really big, thick family Bible, and you put it on the coffee table. And then we all get dressed in the same clothes we wear to church. Now I'm thinking, this guy's got to be smarter than this. Like a 10-year-old boy does not wear a white button-down shirt with a necktie and, and black penny loafers to sit in his living room on a Tuesday night, right? And, and then we've got this nice spread of desserts and everything else, and we all just sit there. And so there was just it, this incredible need to look really good on the outside and to make sure nobody ever knew the real problems. So what that communicates is that also no one ever knows the real you. So I grew up in an environment where there was just a huge amount of emotional dishonesty where uh, you never really knew what people were feeling or thinking. Um, it wasn't really a safe place to display your emotions. Um, my, my parents were probably at a, a rough place in their marriage. There was a lot of arguing. Um, my dad worked three jobs, so it was either absentee or arguing, and there was, there was financial stress, and then I just had two older sisters, and come on, you got three siblings in a house, that's just, you know what that does, right? And, and it was just a, a crazy environment. And uh, so there was this need for everything to look good, and I actually was one of those people who played that game very well. Um, I enjoyed the game of, of trying to make sure everybody thought the best. And so even from an early age, as I did that, I started getting good results. So as an example, like making good grades, if you make good grades, everybody thinks you're the star student. You can get away with anything because you're the good kid, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and so somehow this all played out into my life where I became a perfectionist. Uh, I believed you could actually do everything right. You could at least appear like everything is right. Um, and uh, the problem with being a perfectionist is that there's no need for God. You don't need God. You've pretty much got it right yourself. Uh, you know, there was that one time last year kind of thing, you know, where you made a mistake and you wrote it on a calendar, right? Come on, perfectionist. I'm, I'm confessing for all of us here. And so we never need grace in our own lives. As a result, we cannot extend grace to anyone else, and we create an environment that is highly, highly critical. Uh, matter of fact, when I'm doing premarital counseling for a couple, if I discover that one uh, person in the marriage-to-be even has tendencies towards perfectionism, I add at least a week of your premarital counseling because at that point, we, we need to talk about this. I, I think it's one of the most destructive things in, in the American, or especially in the human soul, is, is that we, we have this critical work, look to the rest of the world. And so uh, it was many years before I figured it out. I did not see how I was crushing her. It was actually how I was crushing my children was the first time that I began to, to see how that would uh, affect anything. 
or anyone. Um, I also, there was a lot of anger in our home, and so uh, inherited some of that, picked up some of it, however you want to look at that, and, and I would explode over the smallest things, like just dropping a dish. Again, if you're a perfectionist, then you think about how to carefully carry a dish, right? And, and if you just are, 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 you know, like my wife, who's just a free spirit, you know, it's like, well, we'll just buy another plate. Or, or. I was just literally telling him, like, it's not a big deal, dude. It's like, seriously, not. Nah, just chillax. <laughs> Relax. And you can imagine how that would go over is she's saying just... <laughs> so... I created an environment that, that gave her no space if she even dropped the glass. Now we don't have a set of eight anymore, we have a set of seven. And that's really bad for a perfectionist because they don't line up in the cabinet anymore. And I'm really irritated. Oh, we're going to need counseling later. I'm sorry to tell you. <laughs> and uh, so here's what happened. If, if I would blow up at the little stuff, imagine if it was big, right? And so she backed our car into our house. Yes, I did whole right side of the car so for the next week she just parked the car facing whatever direction opposite that I was supposed to drive in or needed to go to the garage or whatever our car moved a lot and and just had a lot she was going to do this forever (laughs) she was going to do this forever but that's because I created a place that said man if I'm gonna blow up over a glass or a plate imagine something like that so and then also, as you can tell, um, I'm gifted with words. It's what God created me to do. So when you grow up in a verbally abusive environment and you're good with words, you end up being an expert arguer. And, uh, and we did it in English, so I had the upper hand. It was my native language. And so... Yes, that, those were painful because it was, he was coming at me with so much like bombard like a, whoa, Just bulldoze. And it's like I, I can't even catch my breath to come up with an answer. It was just, I mean, like, to, for me to think in English, because that was, was quite a bit ago, just to think in English to express it out. So I did learn some very colorful Romanian phrases at and, that point English, in time. And English ones. And true story in English, because as uh, we got married and moved to America, and I went off to a, a very busy job working a lot of hours every day, um, she decided to turn on the TV and, and get educated into American culture and language, and she learned from the best, Jerry Springer. Yes. <laughs> I have never seen anything like that, so I was like... Just sitting watching the TV, I thought Americans are just amazing. So she learned some comebacks. Just, just for the record, she she did. She got some things she could put in there. So uh, we were listen here. We were both wounded people, and wounded people do two things. Uh, number one, they operate out of their wounds. They approach the world out of their wounds, and they, they see everybody out of their wounds, and they treat everybody out of their wounds. That's what we were just talking about. The second thing they do is they simply blow up when their wound is touched. Right, so one example of that for me was when we got married, I used to cook um, for You still us. cook. Yeah, I know. I don't know why I said that. Um, but uh, so if he would say anything about my cooking, like this is not salty enough or just anything, I would just explode. So after a couple of those, um, a couple, maybe more than that, because I was stuffing, like, so I had to go to the Lord and say, why am I acting this way when he's making one comment? 
So I asked the Lord and he immediately just showed me like a, a place with my dad, like my mom and dad were working full time. And when they would come home, I was probably 12 and I was cooking for everybody. So I had to learn to cook because nobody taught me how to cook. So I just kind of figured it out. So my mom came and said, my dad was already eating and she said, is it any good? He's like, yeah, whatever. But you know what? It's food, so just go ahead. I was very upset over that. So I went into my bathroom as a child and cried and cried. But the Lord said, you believe the lie that you're a bad cook. So why don't you repent of believing the lie? So I did. And he said, now forgive your dad for saying that. So I did. It's like, it's like the healing of the Lord just came over me and just washed whatever that was. And because when the Lord speaks, it's just so, he's just so amazing. And um, no more issues yeah. with that particular well, I have a lot of others, but you know, that one was the result. <laughs> she makes something now, the kids don't like it. She's like, tough, I love it. You're eating nothing. That's it. That's it. You know, but to, to kind of uh, help understand what's going on is, is when somebody touches our wound, uh, the wound is the issue, but we make the person touching the wound the issue. We, we want to make it all about them as though they're the problem, but they're not the problem. See, see, the simple reality was she would just make something and say, do you like it? Now, some of you guys, you, you just, you took the wrong path and you said, of course I love it. And you've been eating something you hate for 40 years now. That's not my fault because you lied. <laughs> and, and I knew like we're going to be married for 50 plus years. So I got to be honest here. And so I just said, no, I really don't. And, and I wasn't mean about it or anything, but you need to understand, I grew up here in, in the South, and a Southern palate is, is very simple and bland. And on top of that, I, I think mine was even worse because, um, and I hope my mom doesn't learn how to use the internet and listen to this, but uh, we, we had ketchup for spaghetti sauce. It, it, every Sunday was fried chicken. It's what you did. You go to church, you eat fried chicken, otherwise you did not complete. It's kind of like the closing prayer of church. You have to have fried chicken. That completes your day. Uh, there were only like five meals, and we rotated them throughout the seven days a week, and everything came out of a box or a can. There was no fresh vegetables and, and learning how to cook with spices and things like that. It didn't happen. Salt and pepper were the only spices in our house. I mean, that's all that we knew of. And, and so she comes along, and she starts using like garlic and eggplant, and I'm like, I do French fries. What do you do with eggplant on my grill? That's like, good what? stuff, y'all. Good stuff. So... So it wasn't that she was a bad cook, it was that, that I had a completely different set of taste buds, and, and so it, was, it wasn't mean at all, it was just, if she asked if I liked it, no, I don't like it, but that would touch a wound and it would be a huge explosion. So we didn't have friendship, we had a lot of conflict, uh, but now i got good news for you, that's kind of the backstory. The good news, we're not there today. And we didn't stay there. And so what we want to share with you is what God did to get us to where we are today. So we begin about 12 years into our marriage. We're already married 12 years. So Caden, my third, was about three months old. And we completely crashed. I mean, we're just hating each other. And it, it kind of became evident to everybody around us that mm -hmm. we're pretty miserable. And especially in the life groups, we started attending a life group and the life group leaders would tell us like, hey, you 
you guys are so mean to each other. I was like, what are you talking about? We were so toxic. We didn't even know that. <laughs> we were like, we were, well, like, we're talking to each other for the first time in like a decade. Yeah. This is good. What are you, you going to seriously pick on us for how we're talking? Right, right. So we, get, um, um, we had, so that kind of came to like the leadership over us at that time. They were like, okay, you guys need to do some. So we end up in the, like a mandatory long weekend, a week of soul healing ministry, which was unbelievable. Um, it just did, it just restored the foundations we laid our hearts on. It's just because we had so many cracks and you cannot build on it. Um, so when we came back home, we were just completely different people that um, even our, the leadership were like, wow, what just happened to you people? So the Lord uh, turned our hearts towards each other. Um, so we would put our kids to bed around 7, and the rest, we would, like until 1 o'clock, we would just talk, um, just kind of rediscover ourselves through talking and hear where I'm broken and just a lot of conversation. Well, and then <laughs> I had this lady in my life group that came to me and she started telling me like, hey, Ramona, I see the hand of God on you and on your husband. You guys are great and you can be great and you can help people. But you have to do some tweaks the way you act around him and <laughs> so you can be great. Would you submit your, your will to me so I can assist you in that um, on your way to be great? How can I say that? did great oh, okay. so because um, I see some things you do that is just doesn't align it's like sometimes even ungodly so guys I had a hard time with this woman I was like <laughs> the devil is alive I don't <laughs> I don't have no issues what is she talking about she's like I see that you're unteachable and you know you're the best I was like I got scared because I thought, man, she, she sees this. Other people see this. So I need to get it together. So I didn't talk to her for a week because I just couldn't stand her. So, but we went to life group again. And I kind of started to be disrespectful and dishonoring to Jimmy because we would do that in public all the time like it was nothing. So I kind of caught her eye. And she was like, mm. <laughs> I just real and I immediately backed off, but that was the first person I submitted my will to because I could hear her words in her head, like, you'll be great. Just do some tweaks, you know. And um, so that woman became my mom that I never had for a season in my life. She just poured and poured into me. Um, no, you don't do that. Mm, no, let's do this. And for me to submit, that was huge because I, I needed her. Yeah. The truth is not everyone here today is going to be as broken as we were. Uh, some of you are, are, have grown up in and are growing up in homes that are more emotionally mature and are more spiritually mature. And all I can say to you is God bless you and I hope you wake up every day and thank him for it. Mm -hmm. Some of you are coming into marriage healthier and you will not have as much to go as wrong as that. But the reality is that every one of us 
every one of us has some brokenness. Every one of us has an experience that happened to us that's either like the food thing or something else. There, there's not a person. Matter of fact, if, if as a parent you think you can create this incredible, affirming, wonderful home where you just raise this perfect child, um, I've seen those children then grow up and have difficulty because they don't know how to be told that something needs to change or that they need to grow or need to be corrected because they were in such... Here's my point. We're all wounded. And any of us, our children are going to need need a therapist at some point in life, and we all do too. So uh, what God has done in our lives is to help us find some wholeness and healing. But what I want everybody to hear me say very, very clearly is that few people, I'd prefer to say nobody, but just so that I don't get emails from you. I'll say few people in their brokenness are able to find healing for themselves. Because see, when we're broken, we don't see that we're broken. When we're broken, we filter the voice of God through our brokenness. I'd love to say, look, all you need to do is leave here today, go on a prayer walk with the Holy Spirit, and you're going to be great in an hour. I wish it worked that way. But we filter what God is saying about us through the broken mirror we're looking at. We filter what God is saying about our spouse through that same broken lens. Everything is broken. And so what God has done is he's put us together with people because we need people to find that ultimate healing. That's why the Bible says, therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You can go and talk to God and be be forgiven immediately. Forgiveness is there from God. It is the wholeness and the healing that God chooses to do through people. And and God was using my wife to work on me. He was using me to work on my wife. He was using the the people around us at the time in our lives. And, And they were seeing and they were trying to help and different voices trying to coach along the way. And the truth is you need pastors you need pastors in your life. And when I say pastors, I don't necessarily mean a person on staff at a church with the title pastor. I can't personally know every one of your souls to that level. But, but you need a pastor. And this lady in this life group that pastored my wife for a season, that's what she was to her. She was someone who knew God's will and knew God's word and had been further down the road. She had had her own story of a multicultural marriage and knowing that what was normal to her was not normal to a kingdom marriage. And so she was the perfect person to help my wife see. And then there were people in my life at the same time that were the perfect people to help me see. You need people who are a pastoral voice. You need life groups. This is, this is why we need to come together because just the person sitting beside you will see the way that you talk. Not only that, the person sitting beside you will either become that piece of friendship or that piece of conflict, every person in your life. And that's why we need to be around spiritual family where somebody can say, hey man, you're not going to want to hear this, but can I help you? And if you get into a group where you see this person week after week, it's not just some off-the-wall rude comment like somebody blasted on your wall at Facebook. It's the heart of a friend. And we need, potentially, we need to go deeper. Some people, you may have come from a place like we did. We both came from 
some, some serious soul issues. We both came from homes with multiple types of abuse. We, we both had been through some events in our lives that in all honesty, we didn't share this morning. And so we needed that intensive soul healing ministry. We're not telling you the name of it because there's more than one and we're not trying to promote a specific one here today, but some of you may need to, to pursue something like that to find the healing that God has for you. And then I think everybody needs some voices uh, that I would say as a counselor. My wife and I both have counselors. She has someone that uh, specializes in some of the things that she's been through in her life. I have one that specializes in lead pastors and, and only counsels lead pastors uh, in America because uh, what we struggle with and the, the things that we face and the attack of the enemy against us I mean, because if, if you can tear down a pastor, that really hurts the glory of God when that ends up on the front page of a newspaper, right? You know what I'm saying? And so, look, everybody, you need people. You can't do this journey alone. And if you do, then you're going to be like us. We spent 12 years ignoring the wounds, blaming the person that was touching the wound, and not letting anybody else in. And this is the exact opposite, to be honest of the way we approach. What we're supposed to do is create a safe place. Therefore, confess your sins one to another. And, and let me just stop and talk about that phrase, confess your sins. Some of you right now are saying, well, you know, I, I haven't sinned against my spouse. I'm not, you know, there's no moral. I didn't lie to them or cheat on them. And I, I think we need to broaden that term. Confess your sins means share the awareness that you're getting about your soul from the Holy Spirit. Share the character flaws that you're beginning to notice. Share the weaknesses and, and be able to go and say, honey, I, I just realized I'm an angry person. You remember that when you asked me? Remember the question you asked me that time? Oh yeah, the Lord was highlighting, he was saying that um, I'm a control freak. And I was like, that's not God, that's, that's not God. So I asked him if that was um, accurate started laughing like yeah <laughs> you just noticed that <laughs> so um yeah you want me to say more about that no <laughs> i even had to ask my girlfriends because i didn't believe god or him so they were laughing at me as well i thought great i am a control freak whatever and and i've discovered many things and and we've created a place where we could go and talk to each other now, when I, I counsel, I can't tell you the number of times that I've heard the person says to me, I could never tell my spouse this. If, if I tell my spouse what I'm seeing and discovering and what God is doing, if I go to them and actually apologize and ask them to forgive me, they're going to use that against me in our next fight. We did a little of that. It only made things worse. What you see today, the intimacy that we have, a huge part of it simply because it comes from the fact that we, we created an honest, safe place for each other. Brutal honesty about ourselves, not just about the other person. It's not just where you get the finger point, but honey, I just noticed this about me. It's okay, we can do this together. And creating that safe place. And so I just wanna say if if you're afraid to step out and be transparent, I understand the fear. 
And I can't promise that it won't come back to hurt you. But it's a risk you have to take. Because you can't stay here. You can't stay there. And if you're the spouse that heard the confession or heard the apology and then you did use that against them later, my hope for you today is that the first thing you will do when you get out of these doors is look your spouse in the face and say, I am sorry. You took a risk to make us better and I hurt you for it. And I would encourage you as couples to agree, we're, we're gonna begin to build a friendship and friends can say whatever they need to say to help each other. Friends can say, hey, I'm just realizing this about me. And it becomes a safe place for each other. And it is such the opposite. Matter of fact, the, the typical approach is what Jesus talked about in Matthew 7. He said, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own? This is my experience with marriage counseling as a pastor. I have never had someone come in and sit down in my office. If, you ha if you're the person who did, I forgot you because you're the only one ever in history. But no one ever comes in and sits down in my office and says, I'm struggling with my marriage. Will you work on me? I don't remember ever hearing that. What I hear is, I'm having trouble in my marriage. Can we work on my spouse? Typically, people want to work on their spouse only, or they want to work on their spouse most, or they want to work on their spouse at least first. And those marriages are very hard to help because the other spouse usually wants the same. Well, I'll change when she. Well, I'll change when he. And, and God just brought both of us to such a place. We were so broken so miserable and just so done that we really couldn't lose anymore I mean we were we were as rude to each other as we could be we were the last thing from friends you could come up with simply living in a house together uh, it was it was miserable and so we were able to come to that place of saying you know what let's let God work and so what we want to encourage you with today, um, the moral of our story, the, the parting thing we want to leave you with, you're going to have challenges in your marriage. Some of you, you're coming into it healthier, and you're going to have less challenges. Praise God for that. But I want to leave you with this thought. I want you to see the difficulties in your marriage as what God is using to grow you and your spouse into the people he intends for you to be. You're gonna have difficulties. You can either use those to look at somebody, point fingers and blame them and say, man, I thought we were compatible. I guess we're just not compatible anymore. That's the biggest lie I've heard as a pastor. Can I just tell you, if you were compatible enough to get through the wedding, you're compatible. If you made it that long, if you made it that far, you're compatible. What you've discovered is you're different and we all are. And then you start highlighting the differences and listening to the voice of the enemy and suddenly you think you just married the wrong person. Look, if you got this far, at this point, you need to change how you see the difficulties. And I hope for you that you will see the difficulties in your marriage as what God is doing to grow you. 
and your spouse. Amen? That's our story. We hope it helped. We're going to pray for you guys. Lord God, we thank you so much that you work on us and that you surround us by your love. You surround us by circumstances, some of which are easy, some of which are hard. Also that you can bring us to a place where we grow and we change and we become more like you. God, we just acknowledge that marriage is one of those sometimes. So God, right now we pray for every marriage in the room that we will agree to start looking at things differently. And first, we will start looking at our difficulties differently. We'll begin to see the things that we think are wrong and broken as what you are highlighting to change each of us, to make us more like you. God, I pray that as individuals and as couples that we will begin to look in the mirror and say, God, I'm, I'm having a difficulty in this friendship or in this relationship or in this marriage. What's, what do you want to change in me? What do you want to grow in me? God, I pray that you'll create a room full of people who are willing to take a risk and go first, as well as a room full of people who are open to hearing and create a safe place for their spouse or their friend to talk and to grow and to change. If you're just in a place of prayer, I want to talk to those of you that have met yet to make Jesus your king. As Chuck was saying earlier during communion, every one of us deserved to pay for our own sins. But out of the goodness of God, Jesus came and took our place. He died on the cross that provides forgiveness. And he was raised from the dead by the power of God that also provides for us eternal life. But we don't get this free gift simply by being a human. Every one of us at some point in time has to make that exchange for some of you that's happening right now where the corridors of time compress and you look at Jesus in the face as he hangs on the cross and you say to him thank you and if you've never done that I want to help you do that here this morning I'm not going to embarrass you but right where you're seated if you would just pray something like this to yourself and to God Lord Jesus I thank you that you died for me and now I want to live for you I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. And my simple prayer here today is that you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people, everybody. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.